Good morning, everybody. I'm continuing our series called The Difference, where we're looking at the difference that Christ and the church has made in history. I want to start with a passage uh, prophesying that when Jesus comes into this world with his kingdom, he's going to establish justice all over the planet. He's going to do it in history, and it's a reason why we should have optimism for the future. We can be sober-minded about our circumstances, but we should be optimistic, not pessimistic about the future as Christians. Here's what God said would happen when Jesus Christ came. Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth. And the coastlands wait for his law. The coastlands are waiting for the law of God because the law of God is the standard of justice. And when Jesus Christ comes into a culture and he wins people to Christ and he, he saves them, um, he writes the law of God on their hearts so that they love God and they love God's law. The reason why is because God saved them. You and me, we're sinners, cut off from God, no fellowship, dead to God spiritually. We deserve death, we deserve hell because of our sin against God. We know what's right, we know what's wrong, we have regret, we have shame, we have guilt. Why? Because we sin. We stand before a holy God, perfect and pure in every way. Our God's consuming fire. How does a impure, sinful, corrupt man stand in the presence of a perfect, consuming fire? We can't. We die. We burn up. So what God does is he purifies us. He makes us able to dwell in his presence forever. He does that by taking our sins away. We don't have to beat ourselves up. We don't have to sacrifice a human being or some scapegoat that uh, we found to make us feel better. We don't have to deny our sin. We just come to God and confess, I'm a sinner. I'm, I'm guilty before you. I have no right to have a relationship with you, but I want, I, want to be, I want to be your son. I want to be your daughter. And Jesus Christ died to wash the sins away 2,000 years ago. I deserve to die, so he died. When he died, I died. When he was buried, I was buried. When he was raised, I was raised, but without sin. And so my sins were placed upon the cross of Christ, and they were paid for and washed away 2,000 years ago. All my sins in the past, present, and in the future, and that's true for you too. That's true for everybody. That gospel transforms the world. And so when it goes to the nations, when it goes to the islands, people are just, they're, they're full of joy because it's good news. And they say, how can I please God? I want to please God. What do I do? Does God need money? No. Does God need food? No. What do I give him? What do I give him? Give him your love and obedience. How do I do that? Obey his law. Okay, what is his laws? And when you study God's law, you're actually learning what he's like. His laws are not like the Quran, not like the Muslim laws. The Quran is basically arbitrary, capricious laws. You know, why does Allah say do this and not do that? They say, well, it's just what Allah wants. But there's no reason behind it. But our God, the God of the Bible, his laws flow out of his character, out of his holy, righteous, and just character. Every law reflects his character. The reason why you don't commit murder is because God is the God of life. The reason why you don't commit adultery is because God is not unfaithful. Therefore, we should not be unfaithful to our wives because we're image bearers of God. The reason why you don't steal is because God is not a thief. The reason why you don't lie is because God is truthful. He does not lie. So every law, every command of the Bible tells us what God is like. And we're his kids. We love him because he forgave us. 2,000 years ago, Christ died, was buried, rose from the dead. We're Christians. We're saved. We're washed. We're forgiven. And we want to please our Father. We love his law. We love it. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. Statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise is simple. Read Psalm 19. We love it. When nations love the law of God, they want to do what is just. And that's how justice is established on the earth. The reason why justice is established all over the earth is because Jesus Christ is the Lord all over the earth. And his gospel is going all over the earth. And we're bringing it. Those are our marching orders. Jesus tells us in Matthew 28, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Every single one. Not a single people, tribe, tongue. Don't leave anybody out. Go to everybody. And he says, Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I have commanded. 
And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. You know what this passage means? Read it again yourself later. It means Jesus is the King of kings and Lord of lords over every square inch of this planet. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. Jesus is Lord of everybody. He always has been. He always will be. He's Lord of America, Lord of California. He's Lord of the city of Ontario. He's your neighbor's Lord. He's the police officer's Lord. He's the principal's Lord. He's everybody's Lord. That means he's the boss. He's in charge. He rules and reigns. Those who obey and trust and love him are blessed. Those who oppose and uh, hate and uh, refuse him are cursed. They're judged. They're destroyed. He rules heaven and earth. And we are sent out to the world to tell people, repent, be reconciled to God. Repent, turn from your sin, receive the forgiveness of God. God loves you. He has sent his son to die for you. God died for you. He loves you. But if you don't repent, our God rules heaven and earth according to his standards of justice. And he will not allow justice to go unpunished. This is how justice is established on the earth. This is how justice gets to the Gentiles. This is how God intends to establish justice into the, four, the furthest corners of the world. So what happens when you remove Christianity? When you remove Christianity, that's the question we're asking, right? What's the difference? Imagine you had a super magnet. You could pull up everything that was connected to Christ, everything that was connected to Christianity, everything in the history of the human race that's connected to the Bible. You pull it all up, pull it all out of the earth. What do you have left? Not much. You don't have justice. You don't have limited government. You don't have constitutional republicanism. You don't have a bill of rights. You don't have property rights. You don't have free markets. All those things that we take for granted, those are gifts from the Lord Jesus to nations who for generations were faithful to him and obeyed his laws. And our faith, our generations, our nation, in the last 120 years, has been completely unfaithful, apostate, forsaking Christ, rejecting his word, accepting the words of men, in replacement for the words of God. And what we've seen happen over the last hundred years in America is a slow, chaotic destruction. This is what God has done. But if you want justice, if you want limited government, you go to Jesus, because they're his gift. He's the one who came up with limited government. Limited government is his idea. He's the one who brings it about on the earth. For example, in Matthew 22, he says to the Pharisees who are trying to trap him, Pharisees want Jesus' disciples to stop following Jesus because they're jealous and they think these people hate Caesar and uh, these people hate taxes. So let's ask Jesus if they should pay taxes to Caesar. (laughs) So they do. And Jesus is very smart. And he says, take a coin out. Go get something from Caesar. Go get one of those coins the Romans use. Okay, whose likeness and inscription is this? They said, Caesar. Then he said to them, therefore, render to Caesar what the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. Now, that day was the day that Jesus Christ established limited government on the earth. It didn't come from Locke. It didn't come from Montesquieu. It didn't come from some some clever argument by Rousseau. It comes from Christ. For example, what Jesus establishes here is that certain things belong to Caesar, the government, and certain things belong to God. Caesar needs to stay in his lane. You mean the government has a lane? You mean the government has limits? Who says? God. Well, who's going to make sure government stays in their lane? Jesus. How do I know? Look back over history. We'll talk about that in a bit. Something else you learn here is, since the coin belongs to Caesar, because it has its image on it, sorry, what belongs to Caesar? Things with his image on it. What belongs to God? Things with his image on it. So whose image is on the coin? Caesar's. It belongs to him. 
Whose image is on you, on your kids, on your mom, on your wife? God's. Whose image was on Nero? You know, the Caesar. God's. Whose image was on King George, who opposed the American Revolution? God's. Whose image is on Joe Biden? God. Whose image is on Gavin Newsom? God. Whose image is on every human in the world? God. So who does everyone belong to? God. Don't give to God. Don't give to Caesar what belongs to God. You belong to God. You bear his image. What God just did, what the Lord Jesus just did, was he just said, he he looked out over the entire human race and he said, dibs, mine. That's limited government. Now, as Christians have understood this, and they have insisted on this, they have refused to worship Caesar as God. They have refused to give the state authority over areas that the Lord Jesus has not given them. They have beaten back tyranny and limited government freedom and justice has been the result. So what belongs to God? Well, everything with his image on it. One thing that does not belong to Caesar is the authority to determine what belongs to Caesar. (laughs) One thing that does not belong to Caesar is the authority to determine what belongs to Caesar and what belongs to God. You see, God sets the limits. God sets the standards. God sets the definition for everything, especially his governments, since he made them and they're so important to his plan. One of the ways that God establishes justice on the world is by making sure his governments are just. And so he gives us governments for specific purposes. God gives us governments, he gives us authorities, and he gives those governments mechanisms to to enforce the law. So there are three governments that God established. One, the family. Two, the church. And three, the state. The family is the ministry of health, education, and welfare. And they've been given the rod to enforce their law. The church is the ministry of grace, truth, and peace. That's where you get grace, truth, and peace. You get it at the churches because they bear the word of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news that man can be reconciled to God, washed of their sin, forgiven, born again, adopted, filled with the Spirit, given a new heart, given a new spirit, given a new family, given the law of God, transformed into righteous people. Wow, that's great news. That's the gospel of grace, truth, and peace. And that's been given to you and me. In the church. That's not been given to the state, and that's not been given to the family. Although family members who are in the church proclaim the gospel, but the government of the family is not the government that got established to propagate or promote the gospel. What is the authority or the um, instrument of enforcement that that the the church has? The keys. Jesus says, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever is loosened on earth will be loosened in heaven. We, as the church, have the authority to excommunicate unrepentant sinners who refuse to repent of their sin. So churches can remove Christians from fellowship as a way of disciplining them for violating God's law. And the state, what about the state? State is God's ministry of wrath, vengeance, and justice. Wrath, vengeance, and justice. How does God pour out his wrath and vengeance and justice on this earth? He does it through the state. And how does he enforce it? With the sword. God gives the sword as the means of enforcing his just decrees. So God sets the limits for the governments. And when a society obeys those limits, they're blessed. And when they don't, they're cursed. So in Romans 13, you find out what God created the government for. He says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. There is no authority except from God. And the and those that exist have been instituted by God. Would you have no fear of the one in authority? Do what is good, and you'll receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do not, if you do wrong, Be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on wrongdoers. What does this mean? 
This means all civil magistrates, all government officials are God's servants. Everybody, Joe Biden, Gavin Newsom, Mayor Leon, city board, uh, county board, state legislature, Kim Jong-un, you know, you pick it. Everyone who's in a position of political authority is the servant of the Lord Jesus. That's the first thing you learn. And he is, or she is, or they are, God's ordained avenger against the wicked. They are ministers of justice, agents of wrath. God avenges wrongdoing with the sword of the state. And that's why he says, do good and you'll be rewarded. They are created to punish evil and reward good. That's it. They're not created to provide health, education, and welfare. That belongs to the family. The state is not given authority over grace and truth and peace. That's given to the church. Those are three separate governments. They all have limits. Christ established those limits. If we obey it, we're blessed. If we don't, we're cursed. Knowing this and proclaiming this to everyone will help them be warned, be wise, and correct out-of-control governments. Because when a family exalts dad over as Lord, when, when a family says Jesus isn't Lord, but dad is Lord, you get a mafia, and God destroys it. When a church exalts a pastor or a priest or religious leader over the Lord, it's not Jesus is Lord, but the pastor is Lord. You get a cult, and God destroys it. And when a state exalts the the, the government, the, the leader, the, the party, the, you know, Caesar, as Lord, you get tyranny, and the Lord destroys it. This is a warning. This isn't a recommendation. Jesus isn't saying, I'm Lord of heaven, and I'm watching you guys on earth, and when you die and you come to heaven, that's when I'm going to get you. No, no, no. He's saying, I'm Lord of heaven and earth right now. It's all mine, and I am running it this way. And I'm warning you, make sure you show proper fear and obedience to me, because I'm in charge. That's what the Lord is saying. Now, what happens with civil magistrates is they do not have authority to define good and evil or justice. Those standards are set by God. They're enforced by Christ. The Lord is the Lord of the dictionary. Jesus is the Lord of the dictionary, not Caesar. And the Lord Jesus warns our civil rulers to stay in their lane and absolutely do not mess with definitions. Do not redefine things. Your definitions come from the Bible, period, full stop. If you redefine things, I will destroy you. <clears throat> this is strong language, but this is the Bible. This is, what, this is who God is. Now you may be thinking, well, that sounds really mean. No, 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 that's really just. God is patient. He died to forgive us. Look, if anyone in rebellion hears the standards of God, that God warns them, and they say, oh no, what do I do? And we tell them, repent, confess your sins, be washed and forgiven. They're forgiven. The Lord forgives them. He doesn't count their sins against them. How gracious is the Lord? But if they're stubborn and bullheaded and stiff-necked, and they say, no, Jesus isn't Lord, I'm the Lord, I can do what I want. Are you surprised when someone who challenges the Lordship of Christ is removed? Of course God does that. He doesn't want others to follow this fool into their destruction. This is why he destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. This is why he destroyed, he was going to destroy Nineveh. Remember, he sent Jonah, he said, in 40 days, I'm going to come and I'm going to destroy your city because of your wickedness. But they repented. That pagan king repented and God relented. He didn't destroy them. But the Lord is the Lord. We can't stop that. We can only reconcile ourselves to him through the cross. Or we can be stiff-necked and proud and say, well, I don't really think so, and then find out the hard way. This is so important. And here's what the Lord warns us when it comes to definitions. Woe to those. Woe to those presidents. Woe to those governors. Woe to those professors. Woe to those, you know, executives on Facebook and Twitter. Woe to the Google executives. Woe to the really, really smart people who write great books who call evil good and good evil. 
who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and shrewd in their own sight. Woe to you. Woe means judgment. It's not like, whoa, hey, take it easy. No, no, it's woe, judgment is coming now. Judgment is coming. Judgment for this and judgment for that. For they have rejected, they have rejected the law of the Lord of hosts and have despised the word of the Holy One of Israel. Therefore, the anger of the Lord, the Lord Jesus, was kindled against his people and he stretched out his hand against them and struck them. Now, in the time of Israel, the kingdom of Israel were his people. In the time since Christ was ascended to the throne, this world is his world. His people are everywhere. And in America, over 200 million people claim that Jesus is their Lord. Every single politician and every single official knows that the Bible says there is a man and a woman. Knows that the Bible says that murder is wrong. But they have chosen to twist, twist definitions to suit their own hearts. They have rejected the law of the Lord. They have rejected it. Now, we can pray. We can confront, we can show them the scriptures, we can say, listen, I used to be like you, I used to be a fool, I used to think that I knew everything and I didn't know what the Bible says, but God, he was merciful, he forgave me, he washed me of my sin, he fixed my family, he broke me free from addiction, uh, he transformed my life, and his word is the truth, repent, repent, repent. We can do that. But the Lord is going to deal with them. So what difference does it make when you have rulers who don't stay in their lane, when they don't do what Jesus said in his dialogue about the coin with the Pharisees. What, what, what's the difference? Well, the difference is today the church in America has stood by silently as wicked people have seized authority of the dictionary. And these people are redefining rights and divorce and life and marriage and family and male and female. They're redefining justice and hate and love and science and truth. They're redefining everything. And Christians are just standing by like this. Rather than opening up the Bible and say, that's not what the Bible says. No, no, no that's a sin. That's wrong. No, no, this is what's true. No, 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 we're not going to do that. Uh-uh, I'm not going to participate in that. No, no, this is what we need to teach. No, no, here in my jurisdiction, in my home, in my school, in our church, in my business, in my cop car, in whatever area I have authority, the word of God is authoritative. That's what we should have been doing. We're still the majority, at least on paper, but we're not doing it. So what happens when we forsake what the Lord has said? And we've allowed our leaders to head off in this wicked direction. We haven't corrected, rebuked, and removed them. What happens? We receive the judgment of God. And what does that look like? Well, open your business and leave your home during a COVID lockdown. You'll find out. It looks like you being labeled a criminal. Wait a minute, I'm not a criminal. Yeah, you're a criminal now. But those, those protesters who are burning down cities and looting, they're peaceful. They're patriotic. But wait a minute. No, no, no. I'm, I'm, I'm patriotic. I'm peaceful. No, no. You're the criminal. No, they're the criminal. No, 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 that's, that, that's, that's the old definition. But you don't have the authority to change those words. Yeah, I do. Caesar is Lord. You've let me be Lord for 85 years. You let me be Lord when I redefined the origins of the human race from Genesis to Darwin. You let me be Lord when you said, well, maybe God doesn't know about society and justice. We'll listen to Marx. You let me be Lord when you gave me all of your kids for 80 years to be instructed in a godless worldview without any resistance whatsoever. That's when you let me be Lord. The state is the Lord. The state defines what is true and false, right and wrong, just and unjust. Caesar is Lord. So you be quiet and you do what I say. And we don't like it. Wait a minute, wait, 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 we're being trampled upon. Well, Jesus said, when your salt loses its saltiness and when your light is hidden under a bowl, what did he say? Matthew 5.13. He said, you're good for nothing but being trampled on by men. 
We as the church are being trampled on by men because for 80 years we have been unfaithful and unwilling to proclaim the word of God boldly, truthfully, lovingly, but proclaim the word of God because we were embarrassed of the Bible. Because we were embarrassed of what God said. We didn't want to, we wanted to cause any problems. And so here we are now under the judgment of God. Politicians redefine the word sovereignty. Sovereignty doesn't mean American borders. Sovereignty means Ukrainian borders. Politicians are more than willing to send your money and your sons to go defend Ukrainian borders. But they order our law enforcement to stand down and not defend our borders. Why? Because national sovereignty doesn't mean what it used to mean. They've redefined it. What does it look like when God despises a nation that despises, uh, destroys a nation that despises his word? It looks like a wicked and depraved culture that encourages castrating boys and mutilating girls, that celebrates sexual immorality, pornography, and legalizing drugs to keep citizens docile, enslaved to lust, and easy to control. It looks like a Supreme Court justice who doesn't know the difference between a boy and a girl. And it looks like a Senate of both parties that confirmed her. It looks like young men wasting their time conquering and building imaginary kingdoms on their video games instead of building the real thing in the real world for the real king. It looks like inflation to replace the money we paid people to not work with. A nation of ninjas. No income, no jobs, no assets. $30 trillion of debt. $200,000 a pop. That's your slice of the national debt. It looks like 50 years of unlimited murder and abortion of our kids. This is what we have. The question in this series is, what's the difference? What difference does Christ make for justice? The answer is, without Christ, there is no justice. Without Christ, it's Christ or chaos. And we are in the judgment of God. He is shaking and destroying everything that is not built upon his word. Jesus said, look, if you build anything that's not upon the law of God, if you build anything not on my word, I'm going to knock it down. I'm going to raise the rain, I'm going to bring the storm, and I'm going to tear it down. But if you build your life on my rock, if you build your life on my word, if you build your government on my word, if you build your family on my word, if you build your business on my word, if you build everything on my words, nothing will shake it. Why is the church shaking? It's not built on the word. Now, there are nations in the past that Christ has brought his justice to. This is always God's intention. And so, 200 years ago, the British, British people came to India... And when they did, they found a very wicked people. The Indian pagan priests would murder women. They would tie them up and throw them on top of fires where their dead husbands were burning. When a, when a man would die, his widow would be tied up and thrown on the fire. It was a practice called suti. It's very wicked. And when the British came, they said, no more. These men had courage. These men were not ashamed of the Bible. These men were not ashamed of making God's law the law everywhere. They knew that Jesus was Lord of heaven and earth and India. And when they came, they didn't ask permission. When they came, they brought the law of God. They brought the gospel, but they brought the law of God. If men rejected the gospel, they didn't say, well, we'll wait until you accept the gospel, and then we'll talk about the law. No, no, no. They brought the law of God, which convicts men of sin. And when men's hearts are soft to God, they realize their sin. And then they say, what do I do? And then the gospel is, you don't have to do anything. God died for you. He washed your sins away. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that great news? And they say, what do I do now? I want to please God. Great. Obey his laws. That's the way it's supposed to work. But every once in a while, you come across some wicked men, and they don't want God. They don't want his law. And Christian men and Christian women don't say, okay, well, um, all right, well, I don't want to offend you, so I'll just I'll go over here while you murder this woman. They didn't do that. Instead, the governor of India, his name was Napier, he wrote this. He, he said this to the priests. He said, you can't kill women no more. And they said, well, that's our custom. He said, yeah, but you can't kill women no more. 
And they said, well, that's our custom. That's our religion. He's like, I'll kill you if you do it. And they say, you can't do that. That's wrong. And he said, okay, be it so. The burning of widows is your custom. Prepare the funeral pile. But my nation also has customs. When men burn women alive, we hang them. (laughs) And we confiscate their property. My carpenters shall therefore erect gibbets on which to hang all concerned when the widow is consumed. Let us all act according to our national custom. You want to burn widows? Go ahead. I'm going to hang you. I'm going to take your property. So you go ahead. I can't stop you. I mean, you're going to be off in the woods burning some lady. When I find out, I'm going to hang you. Because that's righteous. That's just. Those, those, that's the murders are to be hung. Murders will be killed. It's God's law. So, what do you want to do? And the Indians were like, uh, okay, no more sooty. <laughs> now, the wizards and professors of our culture that love to chirp about tolerance and, and, and that's just so bigoted and, and that's white privilege and who do they think they are? They're colonizers imposing their values. Wait, 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 wait. If it was so bad, then why didn't the Indians reinstate it when the British left? Okay? So, in the 1940s, the British left India. They weren't Christians. It wasn't a Christian nation. But when the British left, guess what? They did not reinstate Sufi. They kept Sufi illegal. They kept it a crime punishable by death. You know why? Because God's laws are better. God's laws are more just. God's laws are right. And when any man's laws contradict the law of God, it is wrong. And God's law is right. You know how we know? The Bible says so. That's it. That's it. The Bible says so. God says it. We're not ashamed. It's the truth. We stand upon it. And when 200 million Christians start acting that way, this nation would change like that. But they don't. Because they've been snookered. They've been fooled. They've been bullied into thinking that they're supposed to be neutral when it comes to laws. They're told, you're so intolerant. You're so bigoted. You're so judgmental. Who do you think you are imposing your laws on other people? Actually, I'm not imposing my laws. I'm imposing God's laws. And God gets to impose his laws because he's God. Would you want to ask people who tell you that Christians should not, not bring their law, their morality into law, that Christians should separate their faith from politics? What you need to say to them is, by what standard? By what standard do you say, I should not bring my, my Bible, God's law, to the political sphere? You see, it's not whether but which. It's not whether we're going to impose a moral standard by law, but which moral standard we're going to impose. All law is legislated morality. Someone's morality is going to be imposed. And Christ commands that it's his morality. That's why he says, teach them to obey everything I have commanded. He didn't say, teach them to obey what they like that I commanded. He didn't say, go look at their laws, figure out where it matches my laws, and then teach them that. No, no, he said, teach them to obey everything I have commanded. All of it. And that's what we do. So there are two choices. There's no neutral. It's not whether but which. There is no neutrality. It's the inescapable concept. It's not whether, but which. It's not whether morality is going to be imposed. It's not whether law is going to be an imposition of morality. It's which laws and whose morality is going to be imposed. And there are two choices. Autonomy and theonomy. That is it. We need to repent of the lie of neutrality. We need to wash our minds of the idea that there's a third option. There has never been, there is not now, and there will never be another option. There are only two options. Autonomy and theonomy. Autonomy is self-law. Auto, self, nomos, law. Self-law, my law, man's law. Man's law is the highest law. And the other option is theonomy. Theo, nomos, God's law. Now, what should we choose? Man's law or God's law? Simple choice. And here's the difference. When God's laws are honored and enforced, there's justice and liberty. But when man's laws are honored and enforced, there's injustice and tyranny. 
So, for example, the priests wanted to impose their law on the widow. Napier wanted to impose God's law on the priests. If God's laws were imposed, the widow didn't die. If the priest's laws were imposed, the widow did die. Whose laws are more just? The same applies for America. Since 1973, Roe v. Wade, we have murdered 660 million babies. Oceans of blood. Remember, God is an avenger of innocent blood. God avenges. He promises to avenge innocent blood. Why do you think he destroyed Egypt? Why did he pour out blood upon the Egyptians and turn the river to blood? For all the blood of the babies from 80 years earlier when Pharaoh murdered them, God keeps track. God will avenge the shedding of innocent blood. Now, we want abortion over. We want it now. We want it completely abolished. We don't apologize for it. It's wicked, it's wrong, and it needs to end. And people say, well, you can't do that. That's intolerant. That's imposing your, your values on some other woman. No, no, no. The woman and the doctor want to impose their values on the baby. We want to impose God's values on the woman and the doctor. When God's law is imposed on them, no baby dies. When their law is imposed on the baby, the baby dies, which is more just. This has always been true. These little cute arguments I'm making, they're not new. They've always been true. And if it's new to you, it's only because you and I have been lied to. In our education, in mostly godless schools, we have had the truth suppressed. We have been taught that there's my law, and there's Christian law, and there's this law, and there's that law, and there's this neutral space, and everybody needs to be nice, and nobody should try to impose their values on the neutral space because, you know, it's everybody's shared space. That's nonsense. There's no such thing as neutral when it comes to law. Here's what you need to understand. I have some pictures. There's a myth. It's called neutrality. The myth is that there are laws out there, and those laws are not moral or immoral. They're not just or unjust. They're just, they just are, right? They're neutral. <laughs> but that's nonsense, because nobody cares about neutral. Everybody wants to know, is this law just or unjust? Right? Black Lives Matter, uh, social justice. What are they screaming about? Unjust laws. By what standard? That's the question. By what standard? And it turns out there are only two standards. Autonomy and theonomy, that are above the law that you're looking at. So, if I have a piece of legislation in my hand, and I'm like, is this just? I have to compare it to something else. And what do I compare it to? I either compare it to my law, my will, my desire, society's law, man's law, man's desire, or I compare it to God's law, God's will, God's desire. That's it. Two choices. Never forget this, and don't let anybody get you to be quiet again, because they want you to assume neutrality. There is no neutrality. They're not neutral. You're not neutral. God's not neutral. There is no neutral. And the reason why this matters is because if we accept autonomy, we're cursed. But if we accept theonomy, we're blessed. And the reason why we're cursed if we accept autonomy and we're blessed if we choose theonomy is because Jesus is Lord. That's what Matthew 28 means. That's what Jesus did on the cross. He's not the Lord of heaven. He's the Lord of heaven and earth. He's not waiting for you when you die in heaven to really give you a a, a stern talking to. He is the Lord ruling heaven and earth now. And he will bless and he will curse those who obey his law or refuse. That is crucial to understand. It is that idea that we've been, that that we've lost, that truth that has taken away our courage. It's made us feel like, you know, crazy and cowards and we've been, we've been silent because we, we're just not sure if we are allowed to say stuff like that, but we are because this is his world. This is his nation. And we are his people. We don't have to be ashamed or afraid. We need to speak the word of God boldly. Bibles open, eyes up, hearts full of faith, brothers and sisters beside us, with joy and confidence that if we proclaim the truth to people, God will turn their hearts just like he turned our hearts. That God will turn enemies into his friends just like he did for us. We were his enemies. We hated his law. We hated his word. And he saved us. He can save them by the same power, the same word. 
If we're silent because we're embarrassed, or we're silent because we think we have to be neutral, we are not salt and light. And that's why the judgment is going on. So if we want to turn it around, we have to repent. And repent means change your mind. It means stop thinking things that are wrong. And the thing we think is wrong is neutrality. Now, the history of the West is one gigantic story of men who have rejected God's law and been destroyed, and men who have trusted God and obeyed his law and been blessed. For example, the French Revolution. You might have learned about that in school. 1800s, the French Revolution, the Jacobins. You know, Louis XVI got his head chopped off. Remember that? That whole revolution was anti-Christian. From the beginning to the end, top to bottom. It was all about getting rid of Christianity from France society. They actually killed the priests. They tried to burn all the Bibles. They changed the churches to temples of reason. Here's a picture. A temple dedicated to human reason. How arrogant. Then they murdered 10,000 Frenchmen, innocent people on the streets with the guillotine. There was sexual morality. There was rape all over the place. And then the leaders themselves began to kill each other, which was the just punishment that God poured out on them. How did it end? It ended in poverty, civil war, and Napoleon. The only thing that could stop the terror that was washing across France in that short 15-year period of time was Napoleon Bonaparte. He came in and he got rid of all freedom. He named himself emperor. So they started with the monarchy and they ended in dictatorship and tyranny. Why? They rejected the Lord and they rejected his law. You see this in the 20th century. Stalin in Russia, Hitler in Germany, Hirohito in Japan led his entire nation to destruction in World War II. Why? Because they worshipped a man as though he was God. Why were those people in bondage and slavery for all those years in the Soviet Union? Because the state was God. No law was higher than man's law. And their rights were gone, and there was tyranny, and there was poverty, and there was misery. China. Mao Zedong killed 70 million of his own people. Why? Because when man is God, it is tyranny and hell on earth. It's Christ or chaos. That's always been the testimony of history. And what Christians have done is they've gone into cultures with the word of God, confident that Jesus is Lord, and that he would tear down strongholds, that he would bring down tyrants, that he would establish justice with his gospel, and they would proclaim it to people. For example, Telemachus. Here's a pastor in Rome in the 4th century who ended the gladiatorial games single-handedly. He got to Rome. He saw the wicked practice of the gladiatorial games, people murdering each other in the Colosseum. He couldn't stand it. He jumped down to the Colosseum from the wall. He screams out, in the name of Jesus Christ, stop this, stop this. And they kill him. The historical record says that the entire crowd became silent. Even the governor himself was ashamed. They were convicted by this man's courage. They were, in many cases, by that century, familiar with the gospel. Christians themselves, at least professing Christians, they knew that it was wrong, but it was this leftover from paganism. And that day, it all ended. That day, the Christians repented, and they ended gladiatorial games in Rome. That's what happens when someone has the courage to stand up for the word of God. God honors it. That's what happened with William Wilberforce. Christian, parliament, political leader, 30 years End slavery, end slavery, end slavery. Slavery is wicked, it violates the law of God, it has no place in the British Empire. But we've had it forever and it's so good for money. It's wicked, it's wrong, get rid of it. And after 30 years of losses, he finally won. And slavery was abolished over one-fourth of this planet. Because that's what Britain ruled. You see it in Martin Luther King and the Civil Rights Movement. These people had no money, no political power. They had no guns. And they brought down Jim Crow. How? They refused to obey unjust laws. Martin Luther King said, an unjust law is no law at all. It's not binding on people. And he's right. Christians have never been required by God to submit ourselves to unjust laws and tyranny. And those people 
were Christians. They organized in their churches. They marched, they protested, they boycotted, they paid the price from 1954 all the way to 1964. And in 1964, the nation was so moved by their courage, by their suffering, by the righteousness of what they were saying, that the civil rights laws were passed in 64, 65, 66, 68, and it obliterated, obliterated Jim Crow. They did what the Civil War could not do. They fought the last battle of the Civil War. And they were Christians. They were moms. They were high school students, mostly college and high school students. And they believed what the Lord said, that I am the authority in heaven and on earth. This is my country. I rule. And if you will stand with me and for my word, I will give you victory. I want to tell you more. I want to tell you about men who are standing up now, Christians like Chad Bianco, the sheriff of Riverside County, who said to Governor Newsom, no chance that I'm going to force my employees to get vaccinated. You do not have the authority before God to do this. He's a devout Christian man. He stood in the gap and defended his employees. I want to tell you about Lubbock, Texas, the largest city in America to make it a sanctuary city for the unborn. They have made it illegal to have abortions in their city. They don't care what Roe v. Wade says. They don't care what men say. They care what God says, and they are not going to allow another baby to be murdered in their jurisdiction. Glorious. These are Christians who are standing up for God and his law. I want to tell you about Illinois and Madison, a county in Illinois that refused to lock down when J.D. Pritzker, their governor, required it. It was because they read the doctrine of the lesser magistrate, a book written by a Christian pastor named Matt Truella, a book tracing this doctrine throughout Christian history, where Christians stood up and said, we are not going to stand by while you kings and you emperors and you popes try to abuse our citizens in our jurisdiction. Princes and sheriffs and cops and governors stood against tyrants above them. They interposed. And so the people in Madison, Illinois, the, 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 the county board of commissioners, they were ready. They said they read the book two years earlier. They were just waiting for an opportunity. And when J.D. Pritzker ordered that the entire state shut down and nobody could go to work until he said so, one county, Madison, Madison refused to comply. These Christian men said, not in our jurisdiction, not our people. God's law, not man's law. And guess what? Their courage caused the state police to join them. The state police issued a statement two weeks later saying, we will not enforce this unjust law. And then the next day, May 21st, 2021, J.D. Pritzker removed the order. All around our country, people are finally standing up for what God's word says. They're not afraid to lose. They're not afraid to have a conflict. They're not afraid to use their political power to protect their citizens. And what we need to do, what we need to do is appeal to the people in Ontario. We need to appeal to our city council and our mayors, our school boards, our county board of supervisors. It starts in counties before it goes to the country. It starts in the city before it goes to the state. If we'll do this, if we'll teach people what God's word says, what God requires of them, he will turn their hearts. Many, many officials in this country are Christians, but they're, they're ignorant. They're afraid. They're afraid of, of what the cool people will say and what the powerful people will do, and they don't think anybody will support them. Who has their back? It just takes one, two, three, a handful of people willing to stand. And the reason why we can stand is we know that no matter what, the labor that we do, the sacrifices that we make, the courage that we show, the faith that we express, even if it means we lose our job, even if it means that we're going to be beaten, even if it means that we're going to be mocked, even if it means we're going to be put in Twitter jail, 
Even if it means we're going to die, we know that our God is the God of resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15, 58 says, Therefore, my beloved, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Your labor is not in vain. When you trust God and you do what he says in obedience to him, your labor is not in vain. He will grow a harvest of righteousness, peace, and justice in your city, in your town, in your county, if you and I will stand. So here's what I encourage you to do. One, read your Bible every day. Believe what God says, obey him in everything, and tell everyone what he commands without fear or shame. Number two, I want to encourage you to engage your city and county politics, calling the lesser magistrates, calling those officials who are over us in our cities to protect us from tyrannical laws at a state level. Three, I want to encourage you to get educated, to read about your Christian heritage, to learn what the Bible says about civil resistance to tyrant and unjust laws. You can do this by buying and reading Slaying Leviathan by Glenn Sunshine or by buying and reading The Doctrine of Lesser Magistrates by Matthew Truella. Finally, I want to encourage you to sign up for our class, Terror to Triumph. It's going to be four weeks over eight weeks. Four meetings over eight weeks. It's going to start in May. And we're going to be watching a series of videos that trace the, the rise of Christianity, Christendom, over the last 2,000 years and show that how every time it seemed like the church was lost and all was lost, God used a few faithful people to turn everything around and bring triumph out of terror. It's going to be really encouraging for you, and I hope that you will consider signing up. Please pray with me. Father, we thank you for your word. We pray that you would apply it to our hearts, that you would fill us with courage and confidence. We ask, God, that you show us what we can do to be faithful with your word, that you'd show us where we can speak up and bring the light and the truth that this world desperately needs. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.